Thanks for listening to the Sunday Teaching Podcast from Salt and Light, a community based in Fort Worth, Texas, making disciples of Jesus together by seeking His kingdom in everyday life. Find out more at saltandlightfw.com. Y'all help me welcome yeah. Bill. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, man. I'm going to pray for you. If yeah, that's all yeah. Right. yeah. Father God, I thank you for my friend. I thank you uh, that we get to receive with him, that we get to do a little bit of life today with him. Um, thank you for your capital C church and the ways that you uh, design and gift different people to serve both within local churches in different ways and the ways that you've designed and gifted some to, to serve the broader church. Um, and so, God, I just pray for um, your spirit to be our primary teacher, Lord, that you would uh, guide and lead Bill as Bill guides and serves us. Um, and would we all grow together in this theme of needed joy today. So I thank you for my friend. It's in your son's name. Amen. Amen. Thank Thanks, you, sir. So I... Uh... Kind of tip my hand a little bit there on the idea that joy is relational, but uh, it's interesting that we kind of focus on that as one of the themes during Advent. So Advent has four Sundays to it, and uh, those themes are uh, usually going through uh, hope and peace and joy and love, okay? And so uh, joy is one of those themes, and as we kind of look at that, and so as you kind of aim towards Christmas... Christians have a whole different purpose, a whole different focus, and hopefully a whole different meaning to Chris, Christmas than somebody who wouldn't know Jesus, right? Um, and I was listening to this uh, pastor uh, who was given a sermon, uh, and I was listening to it, and he told this story that I just thought was awesome, where he was in the grocery store there in line, and there's this big burly guy behind him, and he looks down at the pastor's little son and said, um, so you looking forward to what Santa's going to bring you? And he goes, oh, we don't believe in Santa Claus. And the pastor's kind of going, yeah. And he goes, well, what do you believe in? And the son looked at him, and um, his dad goes, like, go ahead, give it to him. He goes, well, I believe in Spider-Man. <laughs> so, uh, so close, you know, <laughs> and, and when we get to Advent, we can somehow think that uh, lighting candles and doing some ceremonies, doing some traditions, maybe even having some uh, great moments is what it's about, but if they don't, in a sense, point us and even uh, make us alive to the living person of Jesus, we're close, but we've had a near miss, you know, um, so I told you I was married for 31 years. My wife died on December 17th. So um, this is a bittersweet season for me, you know. And on the 17th, which is next Sunday, um, you know, my four kids and I will text each other and say, remembering you, praying for you, um, because each of them have families and are trying to sustain a level of joy and celebration in the midst of also uh, memory and uh, loss, you know. So... When we look at the whole idea of, of what would joy be, it's relational, like we've said, okay? Uh, there's a neuroscience researcher um, and a medical doctor who's part of UCLA uh, Medical School. His name is Alan Shore, and he is a joy researcher. I mean, that's his specialty. Uh, ben thinks my job is cool, that I get to be uh, kind of focused on helping pastors flourish. I think it'd be cool to just spend your whole day studying joy, 
you know. Uh, and um, I've read a couple of his books. They make my mind hurt. There's nothing joyful about reading them. They're, they're just intense, you know. Uh, but uh, I, I actually did watch a couple of his lectures. And one of his lectures, he goes, okay, let me put it on the bottom shelf for you. You know, he said, um, somebody walks into a room, there's an infant. And as soon as they see the infant, they go, and they kind of light up. And when the infant sees them go like that, the infant goes, and he goes, that's joy. You know, and you kind of get it maybe that it's just when, when two people understand, they're delighted that the other person's in their presence. You know, that's it. When, so when the Bible tells us that God delights over us or has joy over us, it's kind of like he's going, you know, like he's so excited that we're his children. He's so excited that we're in his presence. He, he delights in that. In Zechariah, it says that he sings over us. He rejoices over us. And uh, it's the only place in the Bible, I think it says that God actually sings and he's singing over us. You know, that, that we do give his uh, heart delight. And uh, when you kind of go, okay, what does that look like? If we could somehow capture it as saying, uh, it's almost like your face shines. You realize how many times in the Bible it says, may his face shine upon you? That's, may you experience his joy. May you understand how joy uh, receiving he is because you're breathing. You know, that, that's a pretty exciting thing. When, when the uh, angels are saying joy to the world, they're going, he's here, you know, uh, behold him. Let it, let it be that kind of thing for you, okay? So I want to look through just um, some verses that um, where Mary interacts uh, with uh, her uh, relative, Elizabeth. But I want to do it just from the standpoint, because I know next week you're going to be in that similar text. But I, I want to look at it from the standpoint of Mary and her response, basically, of being the mother of Jesus, okay? Um, I mean, you can think about being a little Jewish girl and dreaming about your wedding, okay? I mean, Jesus does his first miracle at a wedding, you know, and, and that's kind of a bizarre miracle that he fills 30 ceremonial pots full of wine. It would be like somebody pulling up with a flatbed truck full of wine vats going, I'm here. You know, I mean, we wouldn't think, oh, he must be the Messiah. You know, <laughs> we would think he must be a winemaker. Okay. Uh, so you've got Jesus who um, uh, delights in bringing joy to a wedding. But you, you think most girls grew up thinking, I want a wedding like that. Everybody's going to come from the town. All my relatives are going to come. It's going to be a time of celebration. Um, not, I'm going to have to hide this because nobody's going to believe I'm a virgin. Nobody's going to believe that Joseph and I, you know, haven't had sex. Nobody, you know, all of kind of the things she grew up hoping for got ripped away from her, you know? So in a sense, for her to respond in joy is to say, there is something and someone way more important than me in this story. That, that there is actually a hero to the story. 
and it's not me. I'm the supporting cast that gets to see the hero be seen. And as she steps into being that supporting cast, she's actually able to delight and be able to rejoice. So I want to look at this whole idea that a joyful heart is mindful. I know that's kind of a contemporary word, and yet in the translation we're going to look at today, there's actually, it gets translated that way, who am I that God would be mindful of me? Okay? So as we just look at this idea that a heart is joyful, uh, first thing I want us to see is uh, a joyful mind is uh, mindful of who you are. Okay? So let's just kind of look at a few verses here. Um, At this time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And in a loud voice, she exclaimed, "'Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear.'" But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed what the Lord has said that will be accomplished. So we've got at least three people that are kind of rejoicing here, right? We've got Elizabeth who, when she hears Mary's voice, um, John inside her womb kind of goes, it's him, you know, yay, he's here, you know, so, so these two unborn babies are kind of going, I'm here, I'm here, you know, and they're, they're able to, the Holy Spirit somehow connecting between the voices of their mothers, okay, um, so you've got Elizabeth who's saying, man, am I favored, okay, um, I, I don't know if you know that kind of word, but it was cool to hear some of your parents uh, talk about your children who are having birthdays today uh, and, and what they meant to you and how um, grateful you were or how hopeful you were for what, grateful for last year and, and this child and hopeful for next year and this child. You know, um, that's a window into favor. <laughs> you know, being able to have somebody who looks at you with hopes for your best, someone who looks at you and is blessed for who you are. You know, isn't that the coolest thing? I don't know if you uh, are familiar with the idea that when Jesus got baptized, but before he preached a sermon, before he'd done a miracle, there was a voice from heaven that said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. It wasn't for what he did. It was for who he was. You know, she goes, why would I be so favored? You know, um, Elizabeth had a lot of reasons for thinking she wasn't favored, but one of them was that she had wrestled for years with infertility. And in her culture, uh, having a child meant that you were favored of God. So she had kind of grown up believing a story, a false narrative that said, God's against me rather than God's for me. And all of a sudden, Mary, the mother of Jesus, pops into the room and she's saying, I've been graced by the presence of of who's going to be our Messiah and his mom, okay? So it's just an amazing thing to kind of be at the place where that would happen to her. Um, We've got the unborn baby who leaps with joy. And in a moment, uh, in another couple verses, we're going to look at the idea of Mary who uh, says, I'm just God's humble servant, okay? 
all three of them kind of know who they are. They're mindful of who they are. You know, uh, Elizabeth is understanding, I've been favored. Um, this baby, John, is going to grow up saying, you know what, my whole purpose in life is to make sure that you don't miss the one who just came into the room. And Mary is willing to say, you know, I'm just a humble servant. I'm not the hero of the story. I'm not the reason why I exist. There's someone and something that I'm here for, and I'm delighted to be able to play that part. That, that's a hard thing for some of us to embrace. I mean, if you are a parent, you uh, maybe can look at the idea that sometimes your love for your child fuels your uh, selflessness, okay? The last 13 years of her life, my mom lived with our family. And um, we had a dinner, and we gave the uh, plate of chicken to my mom first, and she took a chicken breast. And I went, what, 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 what are you doing? She goes, I love chicken breasts. And you know, I had grown up in the house and never seen my mom eat one because she made sure that I had one and she made sure that dad had one. <laughs> but I'd never seen her eat one because there weren't any left, you know? And then when she was given the first choice, that's the first thing she picked. Um, she just delighted in making sure someone else had what they liked, you know? That's where Mary's at. I, I have a dream and I'm willing to let that go to make sure that God's dream gets fulfilled through me. You know, I'm just his humble servant. It's a pretty cool picture of knowing who she is, you know. So uh, we get this idea that uh, uh, we need to know who we are and then we need to know who God is and what he's doing for us, okay? Um, I could say we need to know what the person is doing that gives us joy, but I'm hoping that you understand that what I'm saying here is that God's the primary source of joy. I mean, you're probably familiar with a verse like in Nehemiah where he says, the joy of the Lord is my strength, okay? I don't think he's necessarily just saying that uh, it's a characteristic. Like when you read the um, fruit of the Spirit that Paul lists in Galatians 5, joy is one of those fruit of the Spirit, you know? When in Luke... Um, uh, nine, when the 12 come back from um, uh, having been commissioned out to go to, uh, talk to people about the kingdom of God, um, they're all excited about what, how the Holy Spirit had used them. And it says that uh, Jesus was full of joy through the Holy Spirit. You know, it isn't as though joy is just this quality. It's, it's a resonance. And the Holy Spirit allows us, just like when you're reading a verse, you know, like uh, I read through the Bible every year, okay? And I've been doing it for over 30 years. And every year I see something different. <laughs> I go, how could I have read this 30 times and not seen that, you know? Uh, and, and it's just like it becomes richer and more alive every time I read it. And, and that's what the Holy Spirit allows us to do even in relationships, where, you know, husband and wife are married for 30 years and it's not like, yeah, if something changes, I'll let you know. <laughs> it's like they discover more about this person every day, you know. You're discovering more about yourself every day. And so the whole idea that we would be able to delight in each other, that's part of what this, what this joy would look like. And so uh, we have Mary saying, my soul 
glorifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. This, this whole song is called the Magnificat. And that's because of where he just, the mighty one has done great things for me. That great things is magnificent. He's done magnificent things for me. You know? And so she doesn't see the lost dreams. She doesn't see the humiliation, the whispers, the gossips of Nazareth. She doesn't see that. She sees the magnificence of being part of God's drama and what he's doing and that he's used her, that he's um, inviting her to participate with him. And and I would hope that you would understand that that's that's what uh, God's (laughs) inviting you to. It isn't as though, you know, I've heard some, I grew up hearing people say, God has some great things for you to do. And I, I kind of grew up thinking, uh, he's got some orders for me and I'll go do them. And then I'll come back and tell him mission accomplished. And he'll say, oh, that made me happy. Rather than the idea, God's doing some great things and he's asking me to participate with him in them. You know, it's even like when we talk about that fruit of the spirit, Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. I used to think that you just grow in those. But if you actually kind of ran that out to the end, if you keep growing in the fruit of the Spirit, there should come a time when you don't need Him anymore. You know, you've got enough joy. You've got enough peace. You've got enough patience that you're good. You know, uh, they're not yours. They're His. And the only reason, you know, that's why one moment you can be patient with your child and the next minute you're impatient with your child has everything to do with the dynamic of what's going on with the Holy Spirit in you. Because it's His patience that He manifests to you, for you, through you. You know? And it's the same thing with joy. Joy isn't something He just deposits and then you get to go spend it on uh, cowboy games or whatever you want. Uh, It's his, and you only get to access it when you are rightly related to him. That's what Elizabeth, we get this picture. She was filled with the Holy Spirit, and then she had the response, you know? So it was a Holy Spirit response in her. Um, So as we kind of look through, what does that look like? Mary's at this place where... um, She's saying, I just can't believe it. I'm just a humble servant. And look what God's going to do through me. The Savior of the world is coming. It's just kind of a crazy, crazy thing. So I want you to see some of how she responds because uh, Hebrew poetry is way different than American or English poetry. I, I think most people from England would think English poetry is way different from American poetry, okay? Uh, uh, So let's just take American poetry, for example. We have a tendency to think that it's made mostly by meter and rhyme, okay? Uh, Like Tom Duckett, Tom Duckett fell in a bucket, he couldn't get out, he was stuck it, okay? That equals a poem because it rhymed, okay? Uh, Not to anybody that teaches English, okay? (laughs) Um, But in Hebrew poetry, it had nothing to do with rhyming. It had to do with parallelism, 
Okay, so uh, there's all kinds. There's one that would contrast, says one thing, and then it contrasts with something opposite. Or it could be synonymous, where it says one thing, and then it says it again. Okay, so when we look at what Mary says here, um, she says, my soul glorifies the Lord. And then the next phrase, my spirit, not a different thing. You know, uh, we have a tendency to analyze it go, what soul, what spirit, rather than go, she's talking about her immaterial person, you know? Uh, my soul glorifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Same person, the Lord and God my Savior. She's saying, my heart is caught up in responding to this God, you know? Um, sure you're all familiar with Pavlov's Theory of behavior, right? Ring the bell, feed the dog. Ring the bell, feed the dog. The dog's salivating every time it's getting fed. Then ring the bell, don't feed the dog, and it still salivates. And that the bell became the stimulus rather than the food. Okay? So the Bible's trying to get us to the idea that rather than circumstances being our stimulus, like, oh, I'm happy, oh, I'm sad, oh, I'm overwhelmed, that God is our stimulus so that we can respond regardless of the circumstance we're in. They're not our stimulus. We can respond based on God being our stimulus. He stimulates us with joy. It makes us resilient. When I'm trying to talk to pastors about how to flourish, cultivating their joy is part of that. So we talk about, can you think of a time where you've been delighted in God? Now, can you think of a time where you delighted God? And, you know, I mean, the theological answer is all the time, okay? Um, But the existential answer is that there are moments when that really happened. And I asked them to record them and to develop about a 20-minute inventory of joy stories so that their joy story inventory becomes something that arms them for a debilitating circumstance, They find themselves with somebody complaining about their sermon, somebody who's telling them they're leaving the church. Whatever happens to be the thing that's going to take the wind out of their sails, if they can rehearse joy stories, they can respond inappropriately to that bad news because they've fueled their joy. (laughs) They can respond according to God being the stimulus rather than the circumstance being the stimulus. Now, you're going to have to do the heavy living to tr- lift, lifting to translate that from pastor to you, but I think you can do it, okay? That if you were to develop your own joy story inventory, you'll be able to respond according to God rather than according to your circumstances. That's why Paul can say, I've learned the secret of being content in any and every circumstance because he'd learned a different stimulus so that his responses could be based on God as his stimulus, not his circumstances, okay? So Mary goes on now to kind of say, um, I'm going to magnify, I'm going to let be seen this source of joy uh, for my soul, okay? Now, we have a bunch of different magnifying tools available to us. 
when you're a torturous little boy, there's a thing called a magnifying glass, and you use it to destroy ant colonies, okay? Uh, it wasn't designed for that, believe it or not. <laughs> uh, it was designed so that people that are getting older could read, or that uh, people collecting stamps could see stamps, or whatever happens to be the proper use of just being able to see something. And, but a magnifying glass actually makes it bigger than it is, okay? That wouldn't be something we could do. We could not magnify God in a way that makes him bigger than he is. But there's another kind of magnifying instrument we have called a telescope. And when we look at the moon, for example, and it starts to make a crater more clear, starts to let us see some of the surface more clear, we're not seeing it as big as it is, but we're seeing it bigger than we can see it without that. That's what she's saying here is I want to use my life to let God be seen more clearly. I want to use my soul, my spirit, to let God's texture, his crater, so to speak, be seen observable. He's even bigger than I can imagine, bigger than I'm experiencing, but I want to let him be seen bigger than we would normally see him and just miss him in our everyday life. Okay, And she goes on to list just an incredible list of things here. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. And look at the things she just lists. He's performed mighty deeds with his arm. He's scattered those who are proud in their innermost thoughts. He's brought down rulers from their thrones, but he's lifted up the humble. I want to just stop there for a moment because as Israel's history, they've seen empires dominate them, whether it's been Assyria or whether it's been Babylon or whether it's been Egypt. And they've seen all of those come and go and little Israel has survived. You know, he's saying, she's saying, I've seen, you know, I've heard our nation, our people have seen thrones dismantled and the humble survive. But let's just think about it a little bit differently. If you were a Hebrew girl and you're pregnant with the Messiah, his genealogy has some other women in it. Rahab was a hooker in Jericho. And she saves two spies. And she ends up being part of Israel. And James mentions her as a woman of faith. You know? Um, Ruth is a widow who's not an Israelite who gets redeemed by Boaz and ends up being the grandmother of David, okay? Um, uh, when we start looking at Solomon, who's David's son, his mom was somebody that David swiped from another husband in an adulterous relationship and then killed her husband so that she, he could take Bathsheba into his own palace. Those are humble, humble circumstances in which God's exalted each one of those women into a genealogy for the Messiah. And here's Mary, who's going to be misunderstood as promiscuous, being brought into that same lineage and, and given that same kind of uh, uh, picture. So let's go on. He's filled the hungry with good things, and he sent the rich away empty. And this will be my last comment on this list, because it's, it's just amazing. But um, when he says that he's filled 
The, when she says that he's filled the uh, hungry with good things, it isn't as though, oh, what's the good thing, like a cinnamon roll? Uh, what's the good thing? Uh, you know, uh, it's good things meaning meaningful things. That, that the hungry have been given meaning and the rich have been sent away empty or meaningless. It's kind of a picture of Ecclesiastes where it's called vanity, that everything under the sun, unless we get an eternal perspective, anything un- everything under the sun is meaningless. Okay? And so the very temptation in the garden to know good and evil wasn't to simply be aware of it because God was already telling them what was good and evil. It was to have the power to name what is meaningful and what is meaningless. And Mary's saying, God does that. And he's great at doing that. So something that I would think has wrecked the meaning of my life is actually giving me the meaning of my life. You know, it's an, it's an incredible list. He's helped his servant Israel, remaining, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and to his descendants forever, even as he said to our fathers. So I just want to uh, look at this idea as, as we kind of wrap up. I want you to understand you are favored, you know, that God looks at you in a cherished way that you have been invited to participate with God as his servant so that Jesus can be seen as the hero of the story you're living. And and you are someone who's been graced all along the way, you know, Um, that, that God has provided you with the circumstances, maybe not to your own liking, but the circumstances that are forming you into the person he delights in that gives him joy, and he invites you to embrace that. So uh, we kind of come to this last part here where uh, a joyful heart is mindful of who you are, you're loved, of who God is. He's doing magnificent things, and magnificent things for you. He magnifies, uh, a joyful heart magnifies the source of their joy. And so, in a sense, um, making sure that Jesus is the hero and not us, you know. And it's all of that. I invite you to take this week to have a joy inventory and rejoice in what God's doing in your life and why we do have a season to remember this great entrance of a little baby named God. (laughs) So I'd like to pray for you. Father, thank you that we have a story that's bigger than us, that is full of good things, that's magnificent, that you invite us not simply to know, but to participate in. I pray that would be each of our experience this week and this coming year. In Jesus' name, amen.